this is The Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that The Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com. D E B B I M A C K. Dot com under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. Well, folks, it's good to be back for a fifth season of this podcast. I got to tell you, it's been cool and I'd like to thank uh, the people at, I think it's Kings River Magazine, who put up a nice mention of the podcast recently online. In addition, I'd also like to uh, put in a good word for my cover artist, the one who works on my books. His name is Stuart A. Williams, and he has a business called Stuart A. Williams Design. And I totally recommend him, highly recommend him for anybody who is interested in self-publishing and finding a good cover artist. His online, uh, his website is uh, stuartwilliamsdesign.com. And with that, uh, let's get uh, into, get to my guest. Uh, my guest today is Andy Rausch. He is the first guest of the season. He has that distinction and he is a man of multiple talents. Um, Andy is an author, a film journalist, a screenwriter, film producer, actor, and I believe also graphic novelist now. Right. Did I manage to get all of it in, Andy? I think so, pretty much. You know, I do political activism. I do, I do a lot of stuff. I'm busy. I, you know, um, I'd like to think I'm good at some of them, you know, <laughs> but uh, I try, I try. That's good. Well, it's, it's a good thing to be busy. Right. And I write a lot of nonfiction, too, you know, as you might have seen. Mm -hmm. about, about 30 of my books are probably nonfiction. And then the other, uh, I mean, this year I'll have my 38th book out. And um, only one of them was self-published. And I mean, I know that's corny because that, that stigma's gone. But, you know, when I came up, there was a stigma about uh, self-publishing. So I always thought, you know, you got to do it. You got to, you got to. But I mean, some of the publishers, they don't sell. So what's the difference? You know, you might as well do it your way and get what you want done. And I get that. I think that's amazing. But, um, but I do a lot. So. Yes, yes. And uh, keeping busy is good. And as long as you're keeping busy with the right things. <laughs> right, right. Well, I figure and, if I stay busy with these things, it'll keep me out of trouble and I'm busy with the bad things. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yes, yes, good point. Um, and just so you know, he's giving away kind of a two-book package. Is this correct? Uh, your latest novella, Bloody Sheets, and the anthology, A Time for Violence? Right. So I just wanted to give away the books to, you know, uh, bring, more, bring it to more people's attention. Um, I do work with a lot of publishers. Some of them are little, some of them are big. These are books that I'm very proud of that are with a smaller publisher. And, um, you know, so... Whatever it takes to get readership, I'm down for. I tell people if you can steal them, whatever you need to do, the publisher probably doesn't appreciate that. I, but <laughs> my thing is just read them. I'll give them away. I'll, 
you know, um, I, you know, I don't care. I, and it's, that's always been the way I don't care to be rich. That'd be great, but I don't really care. I just want to get them out here. All right. Well, um, I have to ask you about the book I just finished reading Elvis Presley's CIA assassin. Oh my God, that story right. um, freaking hilarious. I felt like I was reading something out of Quentin Tarantino's movies. Um, what prompted well, you, know you what, to write that book? <laughs> well, you know what's funny is Quentin had actually had an idea at one time before he made it, and he had thought about writing a book about Stephen King, or not Stephen, I'm sorry, uh, about um, Elvis Presley working for the FBI. Because um, there is a thing, you know, where... Uh, Elvis had approached J uh, approached Nixon about being in the FBI and going undercover, which is a hilarious concept because he's the most you know well known face on the planet at that time. How would that ever work? But you know, Quentin never did anything with it, and I like the idea, but I wanted to make something different. Obviously, I don't want to rip off that man, but he, I do admire him. He's a hero of mine, and and I you know he worked with me on my last nonfiction book that comes out next month. And um, so anyway, I had this idea, well, what if he was in the CIA and he was an assassin? Because I feel like assassin is a whole other thing. You know, he's not out here doing sneaky stuff. He's out here killing people. And when I write, it tends to be about hitmen a lot of times. And again, that's Quentin's fault, I think. It's his influence. Um, so anyway, I, I had a lot of fun with it. And it was, I, but it's my only comedy. And I'll say this. I'm glad you liked it. I don't think it connects on the level that a lot of my fiction does with people. I don't necessarily think it's not that it's funny as much as it is the format. Because I tried to write it as an oral history. And I've never seen a novel done like a true oral history. I mean, World War Z is called an oral history, but it's not presented as an actual oral history book. So I wanted to do that Rashomon kind of style. And I thought it would be fun. And it was great fun to write. It is just... You know, finding an audience has been more difficult for that one, which I thought would be a given considering it's about Elvis. But mm -hmm. what you get is that, you know, in my research, I'm going to be frank, you know, I liked Elvis a lot when I was younger and he's okay. But I was finding when I was researching that he wasn't the brightest guy in the world. You know, he was great or whatever. But, you know, so in the book, we I kind of joke about it at times. He kind of does these things that are kind of dopey and and so that pisses fans off that are purists, you know, and <laughs> and that's generally who's going to go after that book. So I think that's part of the problem, too. But Well, uh, I thought we, it was absolutely hilarious <laughs> for what it's worth. So you have at least an audience of one on that one. Um, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I also read Time for Violence, which is a great collection. Well, no, I appreciated it. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Good, good. Oh, no, I was just going to say comedy, I think I can do, but I think I, I do better when it's not a whole comedy. Uh -huh. I, 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 there's comedy in all of my work, but it tends to be, I think, work better when it is done within really serious scenes. We come with comedy and people will laugh and say, you know, I laughed till I cried or whatever. I blew out my drink or whatever, you know, and, and I, I think that that's more my style. Like, I wanted to be a comedian when I was younger. It was not in the cards for me. I can be funny, but not consistently funny. And I think I have to pick my spots. Because the only two comedies I've done, one was a novel, and it was Elvis. 
And I think it's funny, but again, my sense of humor isn't everybody's sense of humor. I don't have always that broad sense of humor. And that's what a lot of people tend to go to. And the other uh, thing I wrote that was a comedy was the movie uh, Dahmer versus Gacy, which is not a very good movie. And I have to take a lot of the blame for it. I like it. I don't care. But when you go on Netflix, there are a lot of bad reviews. Um, wow. So, yeah, I know. Well, but it yeah. got out there. You know, we had a movie that had good distribution. I wrote it. I'm proud of it. And it was meant to be a $500 movie. And then we got a $50,000 budget. And it, I wasn't responsible for shooting it, you know. So they did things in a way that sometimes I wouldn't have done. And they added scenes that I didn't write, which, and then I feel like, damn it, I get credit, or not credit, but I get blame for some of it. But, you know, I'm proud that it's out there. And hopefully the next one will be, you know, better. That's a heck <laughs> of an achievement, you know, no matter what kind of movie it is, I think. Right, right. So, um, A Time for Violence. Great collection of short stories by some of the best in the business. And it right. definitely lives up to its title. <laughs> you describe it in the foreword as a love letter to the great anthologies of yesteryear. Can you expand a bit on what you meant by that? Well, it just seems like, you know, in the 80s, all of a sudden there were anthologies everywhere. Like that was a golden, one of the golden periods for short stories. And you know, and I may be misremembering it a little because I was, you know, I was, I was in middle school in the 80s. And, but, you know, I was reading all of these books, these anthologies, you know, um, like the Dark Visions books and all these things that would have all of these great, they, but they were almost always horror. And I wanted this to be something different. I mean, but one of those ones with the big name people in it, you know, but I wanted to put together horror and uh, crime, which is primarily what I write is crime, but sometimes horror. And so, uh, and I met Chris Roy, who's been on your show. And I, I said, Hey ma'am, you know, writers, I know writers, let's put them together. Let's put out this anthology. And by and large, I'm very proud of it. You know, um, I think, uh, Joe Lansdale was in it. Who Two of my very favorite writers ever are Joe Lansdale and Max Allen Collins. And you know, and I got them both in there. And if you'll look, look, I did this strategically. It was just for me because I didn't know if I'd ever be able to do it again. But if you look at the table of contents, my story is right in between theirs because I thought, you know what? At least I can be close to the, to the greatness. <laughs> but in the reviews, that story that I wrote does get pointed out a lot as a favorite. And I'm very happy with it. I'm proud of it. That's but it was good. remarkable to, be, to work with those people, you know. And Chris, Chris was great to work with, too. I did an interview with uh, Joe Lansdale last season. That was my oh, yeah. last one of the season. He was just wonderful to talk to. He is also one of my favorite writers. and He's great. Um, Max Allen Collins you know, as well. I, I'd love to say that, like, you know, I mean, I've done some work with both of them on small levels. Um, I'm doing, uh, and I love, I love Lansdale. Um, but I'm doing a book on Lansdale with a guy named Mark Slade. Um, who's also in the anthology. Uh, we're doing a book for the University Press of Mississippi, which is uh, a collection of interviews with Lansdale throughout his career. And um, so that's been fun. And Joe's worked with me on that. And I've got to, got to have dinner with Joe. That was amazing. And, you know, he's a cool guy. And, and Max, um, I haven't really gotten to know him. He doesn't seem like a really, like a get to know kind of guy. 
but we've we've corresponded over the years and he wrote an intro for a book i did on movies one time way back like 15 years ago and I, yeah these people are all great you know so that's another thing you write the movie journalism and right. um i've always wanted to be a film reviewer so how did you get into that well you know uh i don't know i think it seemed at the moment like an easy in if i if i wrote nonfiction, i thought this will get me into getting published and and at that time you know in the late 90s the early 2000s there were still film books everywhere you would go into the bookstore and there were big sections of film books and the internet has kind of destroyed that. So whereas my earliest books were getting published by great big publishers, you know, like, like Citadel and Kensington and, um, you know, uh, Chronicle Books and these things, you know, and they were in all the stores. Like now they're more niche publishers that do a lot of those. And so I do a lot of them with a smaller publisher called Bear Manor uh, Media, which is very nice, very good to me, always treated me great. But um, early on, I thought it would be an easy in. And honestly, again, going back to Tarantino, I really fell in love with movies when I saw Pulp Fiction. I came to him late. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs yet, but I saw Pulp Fiction on opening night. And then I saw it seven more times in the theater. And that, to this day, is my favorite movie. And so it does influence my stuff, but I try not to, you know, I, I, I do want to expand. I don't want to just be a, you know, be thought of as a Tarantino ripoff because a lot of things say Tarantino-esque about my stuff and I admire that and that's great and he is a hero in the same way that Elmore Leonard and Lansdale and Stephen King but you know I want to be something I want to be the, the Andy-esque you know Andy Roush-esque that's what I want to be so well that's totally appropriate every author wants to be themselves right you know you're not going to be a not uh rip off of somebody else you don't want to be that right. no um let's see your novella bloody sheets um in your words is a revenge story right i noticed it touches on racism in the deep south can you talk about what inspired you to write that well two things i've always said that revenge stories are sort of my bread and butter for whatever reason you know and i'm a nice guy i promise like i don't go out and i don't kill people but for some reason, I really like to write those stories, and those kind of movies have always resonated with me. Movies like Man on Fire was a big one for me, the Denzel Washington, um, you know, Tony Scott movie. Um, you know, there's an old 70s movie that I wouldn't have known about if Tarantino hadn't talked about it called Rolling Thunder. And one of my books um, had a blurb by one of the guys that wrote Rolling Thunder, uh, Haywood Gould. But, you know... Uh, I don't know. I've always liked those kind of stories. So that's one. But then two, racial issues have always been very important to me. Um, without trying to be like the dad from Get Out, you know, the ridiculously white guy that's trying to, you know, be the proper, you know, I, I for whatever reason, I, to be honest, as corny as it's going to sound, I've always related better with the black community than I have with the white community. When I was a kid, you know, when I was in high school, most of my friends were black. I, I was a rapper for a lot of years, honestly, um, and almost made it, made it there until I, I had a performance um, in Kansas City uh, with the rapper Tech Nine, who's gotten really big. He's the biggest thing ever came out of Kansas City. Well, anyway, 
we were on a compilation album together and it was the first time I'd ever performed live. And I didn't know I was going to perform until five minutes before. So I, I'm nervous and I go up and I went on after Tech 9 who everybody was really there to see. It wasn't like I opened for him. I went up after him. And even then he was a big thing there. And to make it more intimidating, I mean, it's just a fact. I was literally the only white guy in the whole room. <laughs> and so it's intimidating. It is, you know, in the yeah. same way that I'm sure it was intimidating for Charlie Pride, you know, when he would get up on stage and, and sing country to a crowd of all white people. And, you know, um, so I wanted to do my best. I wanted to impress those people. But the thing was, I already had this strike against me that I went up after the person everybody wanted to see. I was not going to compare to him. And so I get up there and I have this eight mile moment where I blanked out and I couldn't remember the words to my own song. So I just kind of stood there and I, I don't know. I just know that it went really badly. And when I got done, I realized I'm never going to be able to do this because I get scared in front of audiences. I've gotten a little better about audiences, but I don't rap anymore. But I did that for a lot of years and I had some success as you know, I was on a, a national radio show. Um, Chuck D from Public Enemy had him had me on his radio show, and I was in some rap magazines, and so it's like you know I found a thing that I was okay at, but I wanted to find something I was really good at, and I think that's this. Well, that's <laughs> so, cool, you know. See, it's experiences like that that shape us and make us what we are, right? As awesome and capable as we are. <laughs> and not to hijack, but real one. I I kind of got away from your question, but real quick. Uh -huh. um, Racial issues are very important to me. I think they're as prevalent now as they've ever been, other than, you know, we don't have slavery. But we, we have forms of slavery. We definitely, the correctional institution has an overwhelming number of African-Americans that are not there because African-Americans are overwhelmingly bad. Our system is fucked up. Is that okay to say a bad word? I'm sorry. Absolutely. But, okay, well, it's fucked up. I'm going to say fuck again. And, fuck your name, man. You know, and it's like... <laughs> So these kind of things do bother me. And uh -huh. this might turn off half the listeners, and they probably are not the people that are going to buy my book anyway. But you know what? Like Charlottesville, you know, when the moment that Heather Heyer got, got run over, you know, I was already really upset about this. And, and I'm not going to go into the political aspects of it, but just, you know, all of that shit. You know, it's these people think it's okay now to come back out and say those things that they thought all along what they were at least keeping their mouths shut. And I feel like those stories that we're hearing, like Emmett Till, who the book's dedicated to, and these people from way back, you know, um, I feel like those things are as relevant today as they've ever been. And I like ideas of stories where underdogs overcome whatever the, the thing is that's oppressing them or keeping them down. And in this case, it's us. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's really great because um, you're so right that it's as relevant today as ever, if not more so than ever. I mean, right. well, I won't go into it. I know. I know. We, can't. we don't want to go that. We don't want to go that route. Um, right. So, you've well, by the way, so this is my Colin Kaepernick hat. So this will ah. this will tie right in with with. Uh, with the theme, so the, the half of the audience that's already doesn't like what I'm saying, that'll probably just really piss them off, but, but that's okay, you know? It's okay. Well, it's, it's okay. Yeah. You have to be who you are. Be, right. It's called integrity, people. Um, right. 
Well, let's see. Um, I think I asked about that already, so I won't ask that. Um, you've also written screenplays. I'm really impressed by that. And Thank you. I also write screenplays, and I know that it's not as it's harder than it looks. Well, we just wrote a screenplay for Bloody Sheets. Um, I don't know uh, if you knew really? that, but it, it got optioned. Um, it got optioned by a production company. I can't go much into it right now. It's Elvis had been optioned before too. So this huh. is my second thing to get optioned. Elvis never got made, but the checks did clear, and that's cool. Um, somebody said a long time ago, and I don't remember if it was Stephen King or who it was, that the best case scenario is that they option your book and it never gets made, and so nobody can fuck up your story and you get the money anyway. But, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see this get made, and there are some big names being bandied about. We'll see if it happens. I don't know, but my check's cleared. That's fantastic. Um, how do you balance your screenwriting time versus your book writing time? Do you devote the day to one versus the others? Schedule it? I don't really do much screenwriting anymore. Like I only did this because I wanted to be able to control my own material. And I wrote it with a guy named uh, David Hayes, who it's kind of funny because the movies that we're known for aren't particularly good. And here we're doing this, um, this more, I don't want to say artsy, but this more very cerebral, serious piece. And, and it was important material and we treated it as such. But both of us were known in the work, film world for schlock. I mean, the <laughs> movies that I had worked on, you know, Dahmer versus Gacy was the primary one that I wrote. And the big one that he wrote was one that just came out that was based on a graphic novel he had written called Rotten Tail, which is about this sort of mutant rabbit man that kills people. And, and I mean, they're fun and they're, they're, they're B movies or Z movies, you know, whatever you want to call them. But, you know, um, so it's funny that, you know, we, but how do I balance it is I just, it's hard to balance anything because I've always got eight or nine projects going on. My therapist says it's because I'm bipolar, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I know I'm bipolar, but I don't know if that's the reason. I do a lot. I do too much. Well, I know that feeling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you have any advice for anyone who's interested in doing any of the things you've done? Just go do them. I know that sounds so basic, but you know what? There are, there's no instant way in. You just keep fighting and you fight and you fight. And you know what? I think, I mean, I'd like to think that I'm better than mediocre. It's up for interpretation. But I'll say this, passion can get a mediocre person in the door. I'm not saying I'm that person because I have busted my ass for 25 years doing this. But, you know, um, and yeah, a lot of it is who you know and it's the right place and it's the right time. But passion, and you have to write every day. I mean, you can't, you know, I'm going to write a page every three weeks. Well, you're not going to probably be very good. You just have to keep working at it, whatever it is. And I also have balls, you know, and I mean, I don't mean, you know, I know you technically don't have balls, but I'm saying have the audacity to approach the people and to say the things. And it's funny because now I'm on the other end of that where I'm not huge, but I do some things that are fairly big and and I have those people come to me now the way that I used to go to those authors. And I realized mm -hmm. I was probably a little bit of a pain in the ass, but you know what? The most they can do is say no. And sometimes, you know, and, and I had met a writer named Steven Spignezzi who's in this anthology and he had written a big book for Bantam 
a big novel called Dialogues, which was, it was an incredible novel. It's his only novel, and it was in the early 2000s. But he's written like 70 books. He had written books on Stephen King, as I have. And anyway, he became my mentor very early on. And, and that was a big help. And I will say, you know, I guess that's common sense or should be common sense. But if you can find somebody that has knowledge and that has experience, you know, you don't have to exploit it, but, you know, you can pick their brain a little at the very least, you know, and, mm-hmm. and without Steve Spignazzi, I don't think I would have accomplished the things that I've accomplished. I know about the importance of mentors and having people who right. look at your work and give you uh, impartial evaluation that right. of thing, and guidance. Very important. Um, to a person who has never read your work but might be interested, how would you describe your writing? Extreme. Uh, it's a, a lot of times it's extreme. A lot of it's more extreme than bloody sheets. I mean, um, you know, the, the the book I just finished will be my thirty eighth book when it gets published, and and it is uh, it's my first. I want to say it's kind of horror thriller. And it was dark. I mean, it was so dark it made me cry sometimes, and I've never had that. But I would say that expect extreme language, expect violence, consequences. People always want happy endings. Not all of my books have happy endings. That's not real life. Real life doesn't always have happy endings. And I try to keep it very minimalist. You know, I I won't have three pages describing what the room looks like. And some people can do that. Stephen King will, I think, over-describe, but he writes, he literally is a writing god. Like, I would write, he could do, he could write about anything. He could write about this conversation, the boring shit I'm telling you, and he could make it amazing. It would be a huge hit. That man can write anything. So some people can do it, but it's like, and I'll read it. But then there are other people, just about anybody lesser, that I don't want to read three pages of description of the room or all the knickknacks on the wall and what the person's wearing. I learned from Elmore Leonard, who really is my favorite author, that you don't have to do that. You know, people make, people, you can, you don't have to not describe anything, obviously, but I mean, if you talk about a person and you, you can describe a lot of what's going on through the dialogue. And I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. So that's what I try to do. Yeah, leave out the parts that people skip. That's his rule, and and I love that. I do, you know. Best rule um, ever. It is the best rule ever, and it seems so obvious, but people don't do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, because when when you get into four or five pages of description or you know um, repetitive thought, you know, like what's going on in the person's brain, that's great. But if it's a little repetitive, trim that shit down. Like some of it doesn't need to be there. And some people do it and they do it well. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, I think if you can make, if you can pare it down, it's always, you can make it tight. It's more That's effective. what I go for. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to say? Is there anything that I've left out that you would like to cover? Um, I have a new book about Quentin Tarantino coming out next month. I hope everybody cool. buys it. Quentin helped with it. It's about a movie he made before he got famous that never got finished called My Best Friend's Birthday. Um, And it was an oral history. I have several more books coming out. Um, I would just say, please buy my books. And the biggest thing I would say is be nice to each other. As I see, that's funny to talk about 
or coming from a person who writes about so much violence. But really, just be nice to each other, folks. That's, that's all I want to see in the world is we can read about it and we can write about it, but let's not do it, you know? Amen. Right. Exactly <laughs> that. All right. Well, it's really been wonderful uh, talking to you, Andy. <clears throat> Thank you. It's been nice talking to you, too. Great. Well, um, so it's been great having you on and thank you so much for being here and thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, wait a minute. You don't tune into podcasts, do you? Maybe you uh, stream in, I don't know. Uh, whatever you do, I'm glad you're here and I'll be back in two weeks with my next guest, Earl Javorski. Until then, take care and happy reading. Mm -hmm.